I was going to show you these at the end of my preach, but I really felt that I wanted to just show you these now as a little bit of a visual about something I'm wanting to talk about today. So these appeared in the New York Statesman this week, and they're entitled Portraits of Reconciliation and Forgiveness, and they're from Rwanda. And so this first picture shows the picture of the guy on the left who was the perpetrator of atrocities in Rwanda. And his story was like this. I asked him for forgiveness because his brother was killed in my presence. He asked me why I pleaded guilty. And I replied that I did it as someone who witnessed this crime but who was unable to save anybody. It was the order from the authorities I let him know who the killers were, and the killers also thanked him for pardon. And the survivor, who is on the right, said, Sometimes justice does not give someone a satisfactory answer. Cases are subject to corruption. But when it comes to forgiveness willingly granted, one is satisfied once and for all. When someone is full of anger, he can lose his mind. But when I granted forgiveness, I felt my mind at rest. The next one. The perpetrator is on the left. Karenzi. My conscience was not quiet, and when I could see her, I was very ashamed. After being trained about unity and reconciliation, I went to her house and asked for forgiveness. Then I shook her hand. So far, we are on good terms. The survivor is on the right. He says, He killed my father and my three brothers. He did these killings with other people, but he came alone to me and asked for pardon. He and a group of other offenders who had been in prison helped me to build a house with a covered roof. I was afraid of him. Now I have granted him pardon. Things have become normal, and in my mind, I feel clear. The third picture, please. The perpetrator is on the left. He said, I burned her house. I attacked her in order to kill her and her children, but God protected them and they escaped. When I was released from jail, if ever I saw her, I would run and hide. Then AMI started to provide us with training. I decided to ask her for forgiveness, to have good relationships with the person to whom you did evil deeds. We thank God. And the survivor is on the right, who says, I used to hate him. When he came to my house and knelt down before me and asked for forgiveness, I was moved by his sincerity. Now, if I cry for help, he comes to rescue me. When I face any issue, I call him. The next picture, please. The perpetrator's on the right this time. He said, I damaged and looted her property. I spent nine and a half years in jail. I had been educated to know good from evil before being released. When I came home, I thought it would be good to approach the person whom I did evil deeds and ask for her forgiveness. I told her that I would stand by her with all the means at my disposal. My own father was involved in killing her children. While I learned that my parents had behaved wickedly, for that I profoundly begged her pardon too. And the survivor is on the left. She said... My husband was hiding, and men hunted him down and killed him on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, they came back and killed my two sons. 
I was hoping my daughter would be saved, but then they took them to my husband's village and killed them and threw them in the latrine. I was not able to remove them from that hole. I knelt down and prayed for them along with my younger brother and covered the latrine with dirt. The reason I granted pardon is because I realized that I would never get back the beloved ones I had lost. I could not live a lonely life. I wondered, if I was ill, who was going to stay beside my bedside? And if I was in trouble and cried for help, who was going to rescue me? I preferred to grant pardon. And the next one. The perpetrator is on the right. He said, when I was in jail... President Kagame stated that the prisoners who would plead guilty and ask pardon would be released. I was the first, I was among the first ones to do this. Once I was outside, it was also necessary to ask pardon to the victim. Mother Cesare could not have known that I was involved in the killings of her children, but I told her what happened. When she granted me pardon, all the things in my heart that had made her look at me like a wicked man faded away. The survivor, who is on the left. Many among us had experienced the evils of war many times, and I was asking myself what I was created for. The internal voice used to tell me, it is not fair to avenge your beloved one. It took time. But in the end, we realized that we are all Rwandans. The genocide was due to bad governance and set neighbors, brothers, sisters against one another. Now you accept and you forgive. The person you have forgiven becomes a good neighbor. One feels peaceful and thinks well of the future. Got time for one more. One more. The perpetrator is on the left. Because of the genocide perpetrated in 1994, I participated in the killing of the son of this woman. We are now members of the same group of unity and reconciliation. We share in everything. If she needs some water to drink, I fetch some for her. There is no suspicion between us, whether under sunlight or during the night. I used to have nightmares recalling the sad events that I have been through, but now I can sleep peacefully. And when we are together, we are like brother and sister. There is no suspicion between us. The survivor is on the right. She says, He killed my child. Then he came to ask me pardon. I immediately granted it to him because he did not do it by himself. He was haunted by the devil. I was pleased by the way he testified to the crime instead of keeping it in hiding because it hurts if someone keeps hiding a a crime he's committed against you. Before, when I had not yet granted him pardon, he could not come close to me. I treated him like my enemy, but now I would rather treat him like my own child. I'm just going to leave it there. There were more stories. but Powerful, powerful testimony of what forgiveness looks like. And uh, it wasn't perhaps the way I was going to start, but, you know, God's got a way of sorting these things. So I want you just to hold that as a visual reminder, hopefully, and I can't guarantee it, but hopefully none of us will experience anything quite so bad. But in the society we live in with the movement of people, you can never be sure. 
And whatever your traumas and whatever your difficulties, you know about them. And you know, you know the cost, you know the weight, you know the effect. And you know what it's like to carry that weight with you. So um, when I was preparing um, for this morning, um, I came across um, a quote that I just want to read to you. And I'm reading it to myself as much as anything. And it comes from someone who I I really love um, called Brennan Manning. And he says, There is a beautiful transparency to honest disciples who never wore a false face and do not pretend to be anything but who they are. And I really feel that this is who God's called us to be. That we are just who we are. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to look as if we've got it all right and all worked out. But actually what Jesus has called us into is a journey together. And we work it together. And if we keep wearing masks or trying to hold it together or trying to prove that we've got all the answers, which I haven't, then there are barriers. And, and it's just... it it, 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 it it's not authentic, and actually we can all be the best, best, we're the best at being us that anybody can be. So um, that's just what I'm going to be. So here we go. So next week is Easter Sunday, and um, if I was one of these people, like my husband or Teresa or Pam Dunnicky, who can wear yellow and orange and green and look fantastic, I would have come dressed for preparing for Easter, because wherever you go in the shops, you can see orange, purple, green, but I'm just not one of these people, so... But I wonder how you are preparing for Easter. I wonder what you'll be celebrating at Easter. Um, and what will you be enjoying at Easter? And I have, I'm quite shocked to realize that for 32 years, I have been in a glorious position of celebrating Easter every day, which is great um, because Jesus is alive. And I've been on this getting to know you journey and seeing all of heaven invading my life at various paces, it has to be said. Um, But this has been a long journey, and it's a great privilege. Um, But I have lived in that Easter every day, so I feel like I've missed out a little bit on the cycle of Easter and Lent and all of these things. Um, And when I was a little girl, I was sent to Sunday school, and I became very familiar with the traditions of... I've got to not shout... um, the traditions of the traditional church. And over the last few weeks, I've just been reflecting on what that journey's looked like. And um, so Lent, oh dear, Lent was meant to be um, a preparation of the believer to celebrate Easter. And it's a good thing. And so I've been sort of reflecting on this for a few weeks now. And what I've discovered is through that process He's been taking me further and deeper with him. And just this call that we've all got on our lives, that if he wants to flow heaven on earth out of me, then we're going to go deeper, and I'm never going to have got it all sorted. So it's an ongoing process. So it's quite exciting and a relief that I don't have to have it all together, and neither do you. Um, So today, we're not in the traditional church, but that was wonderful... um, I just really enjoyed the worship there, and I enjoyed the sense of the presence of God. But today is Palm Sunday, which is the beginning of Holy Week, for those of you who don't know. And this is a time um, where, if you read through the Gospels, you hear about Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on a donkey 
which was an animal of peace, not on a horse, which would probably have been available too, but that was seen as an animal of war. So he arrived in Jerusalem, um, celebrated and being applauded as king of the Jews. And people were waving palm branches and laying them on the floor before him and coats and jackets. And, and, um, and it was a procession of victory and of peace. And it was a big celebration. But what follows is what traditional church would refer to as Holy Week. And the events that are included in all of that are... Um, well, lots and lots. Go and read the Gospels over this next week and enjoy that journey. But the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus is what it all comes to towards the end. And as we've been, as I've been sort of reflecting and just using these few weeks just to look again at what God's showing me, I've just felt God speaking again and again to me personally. And these are some of the things I just want to share with you. And the result has been I've been captivated all over again about the power, the depth, the purpose of his love and of his forgiveness. He's been talking to me about the forgiveness that I've I've received. And Jesus brought that to me at an almost incomprehensible cost. And he's brought that, and it's available for you too. And he's been talking to me about the forgiveness that I'm to ask for daily. And he's been talking to me too about the forgiveness that he asks me to give and receive from others every day. So forgiveness is one of those things. We long for it, don't we? And we need it. We need it for our own sense of well-being. We heard it in those stories, a very powerful testimony. And it's that thing that God asks us to forgive. And forgiveness is what Jesus did. It's what he is. It's what he brings. And it's what he modeled. Jesus is forgiveness. He, and when you get stuck, you just have to look to him because he shows you. And I always think forgiveness... It's a bit like this. I've dissembled this in all the scramblings. This is the key in my whole cupboard that's got all the little bits that I always need in an emergency. That's irrelevant. But it's a key. And forgiveness is like a key. It's a key that opens you up to freedom. It's a key that opens you up to relationships and connection, both with Father God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but it's also the key that opens up relationship, connection, and intimacy with brothers and sisters in Christ. Without it, you just don't have that connection and that relationship. Forgiveness is the thing that we struggle with the most. It's really hard to understand. It's a really difficult thing to do, really hard to give, and it's hard to receive. But it is the key to connection and relationship and intimacy and for me, it's been the key to my relationship and connections, connection with my Heavenly Father. That is the key. It is the one way. And um, I'm finding it's an ongoing process. Um, it's the thing that opens the door, but it's the thing that paves the way for a meaningful, deep, day by day, month by month, year by year, when the years are beginning to crank up, journey. It goes on and on and on. It's not a once and for all. So it's the central message, I believe, to Jesus' life and mission. I want to read you another quote from Brennan Manning, who I would strongly recommend. I'm a bit of a bookie. I love to read. I love to research. But if you ever get a chance to read this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, 
It's Glasgow's great book, as far as I'm concerned. It's a wonderful, wonderful book, so I strongly recommend that to you. And he's also written another one called Abba's Child. These are just two books that have profoundly affected me over the years, so I just thought I'd mention them. But the quote is from a different book called The Furious Longing of God that he wrote. And it says this about the gospel. The gospel is absurd, and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, he died, he rose again, but with one purpose in mind, to make brand new creations. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns within them, who would live in even greater fidelity to the omnipresent word of God, who would enter into the center of it all, the very heart and mystery of Christ, into the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, and sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be a Christian. Isn't that a fantastic quote? I'll post it on Facebook for you. Um, Anyway, um, so what I've discovered um, is for myself, and I'd like to encourage you along the same way, if you're not quite on this place, those of you that are further ahead, I'm chasing you. Um, I have found that hearing and valuing Father speaking to me, there's no greater treasure at all. When I hear, when I see, when I sense my Father speaking to me, showing me stuff, holding me safe, it grows my faith, it grows my courage, it grows my strength, it grows my assurance, it grows my conviction, it grows my hope. When, father, when I hear my father speaking to me, okay? Now, um, I'm in a place now that when God speaks to me, I'm in absolutely no doubt he's speaking. Um, I know his voice as clear as a whistle, but it hasn't always been like that for me. And it might not always be like that for you too. Um, and I learned by sharing and asking when I started out as a baby, brand new Christian, when I haven't got a clue what was what or who was what, you know, I'm full of fervor and, and it's like, you know, the mushrooms talking to me off the floor or it, everywhere. I just thought God was speaking to me all the time. And it, it, I had to go through a process. Magic mushrooms? No, no, let's not go there. But anyway, um, anyway, I went through a process of walking closely with people who were more mature, who knew a little bit more than I did. And I would say, I think God's saying this to me. And they'd go, yeah, I think you might write that. Sounds like God to me. And then I would say, the mushroom's talking to me. And they would say, no, Jan, that is not the mushroom. And so I learned a process of hearing God for myself. And I just want to really encourage you to grow that, value that for you. I'm going off on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. We're in um, a growing prophetic culture, which is absolutely fantastic, where lots and lots of people are hearing God speak. And, you know, we're always hungry to hear what God's saying. But I just want to give you a little word of caution. I don't want you to make the mistake of valuing the word that God speaks to another person than that that he speaks to you. It's really, really important. You are God's children, and he wants to talk to you. It's really great when God speaks to you through other people, but don't make that mistake that because somebody that you admire and respect, and for some reason you think that they've got a better connection with God, 
it, do value their word. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Do value it. But don't negate and don't waste time not listening for yourself because God really wants to speak to you. So, um, again, just another little word in there about prophetic words that come from others. You've got to weigh those words and you've got to weigh it in fellowship. This is what it is to walk in fellowship. It's one anothering. It's walking side by side. It's sharing life, rough with the smooth. It's encouraging. It's helping one another along. Um, It's sharpening one another in the faith. And it's correcting only when necessary. It's not your mission in life to go correcting other people. Um, And you you do this. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. Do this. um, In order to do this, we as a family, as brothers and sisters... As a community, we've got to cultivate a lifestyle of forgiveness. So forgiveness then, so this is a real topic. Forgiveness, I often describe as giving up the right to get even. It's not condoning the wrong that may have happened. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's not a feeling that I feel. Um, So it's it's a decision to stop dragging the weight and the millstone of the pain and the hurt and the disappointment and the discouragement. And that is a little bit, often, I once saw this described, it's a bit like having a dog collar with the weight of all the awfulness. And everywhere I go, I'm dragging that thing and I don't feel free. And it's with me everywhere I go. But when I choose, I make a decision. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. I'm not saying any of those things, but I'm making a decision to hand over the offense, to hand over the individual to my dad, my heavenly dad, my father in heaven, and I'm going to allow him to do what he has in his heart for that person, not what I have in my heart to do for that person, but what he has in his heart for that person. And I'm the one, actually, when I've gone through that process, I'm the one that walks free, not them. So, but I've had big struggles when it's come to this thing with forgiveness. Because what I've discovered about me is I've often wanted forgiveness and grace for myself, but I've wanted law and justice for the one that wronged me. Anybody there? Um, I've also come to discover that biblical justice looks quite different. Because God made all his children, all his children, whether they know him or not. All the children on this planet that have ever been and ever will be are God's children. Some just don't know it yet. So um, I want to talk a little bit about salvation. So the first thing that God was really speaking to me as a theme was about the forgiveness that I've received. And this might be for you too. Forgiveness from my father. So... I just want to give you a definition of justification, which is God's act of removing the guilt and penalty of sin, while at the same time declaring a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Some very big words in there. It's worth going to meditate on them. I just want to talk about our salvation. And what is it like to walk forgiven? Do we really know what happens? We often make the mistake... um, of living under the influence of yesterday's failures and blemishes, the things that we came to the point of salvation wrong, all the things that weren't right. And 
the weight of that and the bad feeling. And if we continue to live after meeting Jesus, after embracing his forgiveness and his love, after his love has done his work initially, if we continue to live with that weight and all of those bad feelings, it means that we're living under the influence of lies. And however we act and behave is still coming from lies. Those lies create a filter of the reality of what's available to us. Um, And lies are the only tool that the enemy has got to prevent you from enjoying everything that Jesus died for. Just lies. Just lies. But they feel so real, don't they, sometimes? Um, And by living under those lies, we're living way below God's provision and resources for everything that he intended. I once heard it described a little bit like this. You may have heard this story before, but it's worth telling about a family who made the journey from somewhere in Europe to America. Saved and saved and saved and saved, and they got their ticket. And the family gets on board, gets themselves embedded in their little cabin, and they've packed, um, they've packed some food so that they don't have to spend more money in the restaurant. And they make this journey, and they get almost to the destination. The night before they're due to land, they decide they're going to go to the restaurant and they're eyeing up and he has a word with the captain could you tell me how much it would be for me and my family to come and eat this beautiful food in this beautiful location la 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 to which the captain replied you should have been eating here all the time this has already been paid for in your ticket you could have been living like this the whole time that's just a little picture of what it's like Sometimes we live as Christians thinking, I've got to live on these little bits, and then eventually one day I might be able to afford. But actually, at the cross, Jesus paid for us to eat the feast the whole time. So Psalm 23, you know, it talks about, you know, there's a banqueting hall that's been prepared for us. Um, It's the provision of the Lord that was made available at the cross. So when Jesus rocks up in in our lives, it's his love that convicts us of our sin, not his anger. Fascinating. I spent a lot of time thinking that God must be angry with me and it kept me away. But actually, when Jesus comes, he comes with his love and it's his love that convicts me. So when Jesus comes, he brings, first of all, he brings revelation and then he brings understanding. He does a pretty comprehensive job of removing our sin, of paying the price, of changing our identity, of making us sons and daughters. That's my dad. That's my dad. He does a great job. But how often do we live in relation... How, how do we live in relation to this past sin that's been forgiven? I'd like to suggest that you go away and read through Romans 6 and 7 and 8, um, which is... Uh, got far more treasure in it than I'm going to do, and I, I just don't want to take the time, but talks very comprehensively about how Jesus has removed our sin before the cross and what the record is after the cross. He removes that completely. Um, and it ends up that towards the end of that chapter, it just says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. 
Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin will not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but under grace. This is extremely good news. Extremely good news. We walk around thinking, it's so hard, it's terrible, I'm picking up the baggage, I'm feeling the weight, it's really awful. But the good news is the truth is it's been dealt with. It's been paid for. You don't have to lug all that stuff around with you forever. And you don't have to live under the influence and the weight of it. That's been dealt with. How do you walk away? How do you walk out? Bill Johnson, dear man, came out with a great quote, which I love. It says, about forgiveness. We we find it so hard to accept Jesus' forgiveness, which is why we don't often run like the clappers, out of the gates, free from all that stuff. We stay in the cage. Um, In answer to what does it look like to be forgiven, he says, it's much more difficult to receive what you don't deserve. When I receive what I don't deserve, the one who gave it to me is honored. And when he's honored, I'm humble. It's much more difficult to receive what you don't deserve. But when I receive what I don't deserve... The one who gave it to me is honored, and when he's honored, I'm humble. Christians make the, you know, we make mistakes, we make a mess, we make bad choices, we do crazy things, we lose our temper, we make huge messes, but we have got then available to us that whole process of repentance where we go back to dad and ask for his forgiveness. I've mucked up. I said this. I shouldn't have said this. I reacted like that. I was judgmental. I, I was selfish. I only thought about me. Whatever. It's a daily process. Dad, I'm sorry. And we ask his forgiveness. And he grants his forgiveness. And he restores that joy back to me that he loves me, he knows me. And I ask for him some help in coming to clear up the messes that I just asked for forgiveness for making. It's not like it didn't happen. I don't get to walk away from it scot-free. But he comes with me then to help me clear up the mess, to make it right. But the common mistake that we often make is that in order to show God how humble and repentant we are, we stir up all the bad feelings that we felt about the bad thing that we just did. And we pick up the weight and the effects of those bad decisions. And we carry them trying to prove to God that we're humble that we're full of humility, and that is the wrong way to go about it, completely the wrong way about it. When Jesus bought me, he bought my problem too, and my problem then become our problems, but he comes with me alongside in it to help me sort it out. Um, Sometimes he brings instant deliverance and provision, but sometimes we have to walk through the consequences of our bad choices and our bad decisions. But he's there day after day, pouring in his provision, his grace, and his mercy to help us put things right. Um, so justice takes on a different perspective once you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Um, the good news of salvation, you can I, I love finding things in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that match. When they're talking about the same things from different sides of the cross, different sides of where Jesus is coming. So in Isaiah 61, you find mirrored again in Luke 4. And it talks about prisoners being set free. Um, And the prisoners were in prison because they had a price to pay, because they'd done something wrong. 
Um, but then when you look again in Luke, you see the story again. But this side, it, it's coming from the fact that Jesus already won the prize. And so when Jesus comes into anybody's life, the price has already been paid. Um, so once you're washed in the blood, biblical justice is now aimed at the, it's, it's not aimed at the person who sinned, but at the power that's influenced them. Do you understand? So before the cross, a person was required to make penance, to make it right. You'd, you have to go through a big, long process of making things right. But when, once you've accepted Jesus, once Jesus has come and flooded your life and you know he's real, there's a, a spiritual power and authority that's been broken so that then the justice is now not aimed at a person who's wronged you, but at the power and principality that's affecting them to have done that. So it takes the sting out, it sets you free, and, and actually there's weapons in your hands of warfare to actually go after the real culprit, which might not be the person who's been used. So, true salvation and conversion means that we're set free and that we're partners with Christ and we're covered by his sacrifice, which did not come free, did it? Big cost. So, from this point on, you're going to do everything to make everything right, to clean up the messes and to live a righteous life, right? Is that right? Are you all working hard to live a righteous life? Are you managing on your own? How's that working out? Not very good. Um, but it does, we do have a right to rise up um, with Jesus, with righteous vindication now against powers and principalities together. Together, you're going to see things. Together, you're going to be wise. You're going to hear. You're going to be able to identify schemes that are set to trip you up to not do things right. Together. The secret is together. So, good news once you have felt the effect of Jesus' blood at work in your life, you have made a transition from being a sinner to born again to a saint. Instantly. Instantly. Now, that's not a ticket to a challenge or a problem-free life, as many of us will tell you, but it is into something about one anothering, following I call fellowship and fellowship. I'm following Jesus from this point on, but I'm doing it in fellowship. And you do that through discipleship, maturity, growing amongst friends. Thing is, Jesus doesn't take away your ability to sin, does he? Anybody find that to be true? I want to know. Has he taken away your ability to make mistakes? You're very quiet. Have you noticed, though, this used to be one of my gripes, Jesus, before I knew you, sinning was fun. Now it's not fun. So he takes away your ability to enjoy, fun, enjoy the sin, doesn't he? Enjoy the fun. Now I have lots of fun. Sorry. So Jesus takes away your sin, but he doesn't take away your ability to sin. But he takes what seems to disappear is your ability to enjoy the sin. Yes? So, I want to just make mention of something else that happens at the cross. In Malachi 3.16, it says this. Those, when those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and he heard them, 
So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. From the minute that you know Jesus, there's a book starting to be written. Everything that happened before you knew him is washed by the blood. And then everything from that point on, a record goes on. There's a record being made. And the record that's being made is not all the things you do wrong, which we've just discovered you may still continue to make some mistakes. But the record he starts to make is of righteousness, things that are righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is when you can clamber over your stuff. Say you come to church. Don't really want to come to church. Don't really want to praise God. You've had a rough week. Your heart's sore. You're discouraged. You're in pain. Whatever. We've all got our stories. But you come and you think, you know what, Jesus? That stuff is not unreal. It's true. But right now, I've come here to worship you. And I'm going to worship you. And that first song, it's like... I'm just telling you what it's like for me. And... But as I start to fix my eyes on Jesus, I start to resonate with what's true. And as I do that, my spirit's rising. And it's rising above the stuff. It's, and I start to see things as a different perspective. And I start to see it as God sees it. And I start to see God as he is. And I start to see heaven. And then I start to see it all happening. And I start to get excited. And then worshiping's not such a big problem. But you know, God calls that righteousness. Your ability to rise up. A sacrifice of praise, choosing to believe God over your reality. These are marks of righteousness. And those are the sort of things that are going in the book that's being written about you. Look here, my Saint Ian Moorcroft. This was happening. But you rose up and you gave praise to me. That's righteousness. Well done, son. And it's happening for each one of you. Um, and you start to see these weapons of your warfare. It's just so exciting. See, perspective starts to change once Jesus' blood has been applied. I love um, this little mirror of Sarah. You know Sarah in Genesis, Abram's wife? Angel rocks up, tells Abram he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going to have a son. She's ancient. He's ancient. It's just not happening. And her response to this is she laughs. And then when God speaks to her about it, she lies and says, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And that's what happens. That's before. Then you go into the New Testament in Hebrews. You start to see what's written in this book about Sarah. You don't hear that. You have seen it. In the record of her life, what it says is, she moved in abandonment to God and in faith. By faith she received. She judged him faithful who promised. The record of her and her life is one of faithfulness and amazingness. And he's doing that for you too. He's doing that for you too. So, so if I'm walking in the light, I'm walking with others. Yes? And in deep personal fellowship with people who I can share with really and honestly about I really am. How easy is it for you to do that? I find it really difficult. We want to be all together, don't we? We want to have it sorted. We don't want people to come too close when we're making a mess. Well, I don't. I'm learning. Um, let's cultivate this life of light and fellowship. There's going to be more light coming. Jesus is going to be established in you. 
and all of heaven in you. It's authentic. See, Christian, non-believers in the world, the biggest problem they've got with believers is a lot of what they've experienced is believers say one thing, but they're doing a complete other. And the good news for you is you can believe Jesus. You can experience Jesus. You can see all of heaven. You can see what's available. You can... It's all there, and you know it. But what is powerful in the world, and where people are going to come looking, when you, it's going to be easy for you to release, is when you're believing it and you're doing it. And you learn to do that in fellowship. Doing it on your own is really hard work, isn't it? So wouldn't it be amazing? There are thousands and thousands of people who are going to come to know Jesus. And they are going to know and they're going to want to see mums and dads who know what it's like to walk forgiven. That they can see she's walking forgiven. Her life looks very different to mine. I want that. And we're needing mums and dads who can see it, know it, understand it, be shaped, be formed by it, be completely transformed by it, who can then parent others. And when others come in with their muck and gunge, struggling with how do I leave the past behind, how do I move forward, how do I move out in forgiveness, how do I do what these people have been doing in Rwanda, how is that possible that actually mums and dads, you, are going to be the mums and dads to those who can say, you are free, you are saved, you are loved, you are powerful, you have got all of the resources of heaven available to you. Revival comes quick that way. It comes really quick. You need to really understand and just cherish what it is to be forgiven. So that's the forgiven we've received from God. The forgiveness I seek daily. Forgiveness is first received and second given by sons and daughters. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. And it comes in that order. I can't give what I haven't got. You can't give what you haven't got. Um, Matthew 6, we can hear about um, how Jesus taught us to pray. And in there he says, forgive us our trespasses, our debts, as we forgive those who trespass or are indebted against us. And Jesus spoke in Aramaic, I believe. And the word that they used there was choba, which means both debt and sins. And then when the Bible was translated into Greek, it went to one word. So it was like two words. We're asking for forgiveness for failing to fulfill what God requires of me, which would be debt. And I'm also asking for failing to do the right thing when I did act. And I'm not perfect, as you can see. I'm getting, I'm learning. It's a day-by-day thing. And I just really want to stir you to long that you can not just cultivate this in your own life, which I'm sure you're doing, but learning how to cultivate it one another. The one anothering aspect propels it, accent, and it's exciting when you see people walking free and going more and more into the image of Jesus. It's like, I see Jesus in you. This is amazing about you. Yep, okay, you made a mistake. Let's pray. Let me help you. Right, great, move on. Free, done, sorted, onwards to greater and greater things. So um, another book that I want to recommend, true to form, is this great book, called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by a gentleman called Kenneth Bailey. Really fascinating. If you want to know, you read stuff in the Bible, you think, I wonder what that was really like in that culture. Because I live in Scotland and I've been here a long time and I kind of 
getting my head around this culture now. But what was it like in Jesus' time? So what was, what was re- Jesus, what else are you trying to say to me through these words? This is a really good book. Um, helps you unpack some things. And I, I, I read this quote. It said, Forgiveness is not just a dramatic act at the beginning of the pilgrimage of faith, but it's a daily need. Each day, the faithful need to ask God to pick up the broken pieces of their lives and restore them to the joy of their salvation. The one who prays this prayer asks for release from the guilt of unfilled responsibilities and for lifting off the burden of wrongdoing. Provision for community underlies this petition as well. Unless people are able to forgive one another and to seek God's forgiveness, they are unable to live together. The healing that comes from forgiveness makes it possible for the faithful to continue their pilgrimage as a community. That is a big thing, but that's, that's, that's what it's like, and that's what's happening. And that's what, it, that's what this daily forgiveness is all about. The third thing that God's been speaking to me is about the forgiveness that I need to give and receive every day, which is what we saw demonstrated with the pictures that we saw from Rwanda and the stories. What Jesus has just been saying again and again to me is that he modeled forgiveness on the cross incredibly. It was a powerful act. It wasn't a weak act. There was no prerequisite for the forgiveness that he gave. What he said was, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is a posture of heart. It's a way of life. It's a key to life. It's the key to living whole, free, and powerful lives and connected lives. Now, history, as we've seen, is absolutely scattered with these atrocities that far outweigh most of our experiences. Um, And I'm just deeply moved every time I hear of powerful testimonies of forgiveness of things that I can't even begin to get my head around. It doesn't lessen what I've been through. But it's a powerful encouragement for me to press through, to really seek God that actually this really, I find this hard, but because you are here, because I know I've tasted your love, I know what it feels like in your presence, anything is possible. I've probably, I've looked back over my life and there have been maybe three very big things I've really needed to find forgiveness for others for. And I found it difficult, and I tried every best will and way in my own strength. But what I found, it was only when Jesus walked in that I had the power and the resources to forgive, to make the decision not feel fantastic. But when in his presence, I found the power and the strength and the courage to make the decision to forgive so that I walk free. And it comes in his presence. It comes from that intimate connection and just looking for him. This week, I'd really like, um, I'd really like to suggest to you that you spend some time maybe reading through the Gospels. Just about what goes on this week, historically, in the Bible stories. And just invite Holy Spirit to come and show you. You, you know where you're at with yourself. You know where you're at with Jesus. You know where you're at with brothers and sisters. You know where you're at with people that you have removed yourself from in order to protect yourself. You know those things. 
And I just want to ask you to ask Holy Spirit to come and speak to you and pour in his love, first of all, and then pour in courage and to pour in faith that will strengthen you to make the decision that you would find health and wholeness and a freedom to be everything that you can be. And from there, that you can take that into your one anothering. So I have good friends that are very like chalk when I am very like cheese. And I love them dearly. I really do love them dearly. I'm not just saying this. Even in my own family, dare I say, I love them dearly, but they drive me bonkers. And if I didn't find a way of reconciling that, day upon day, event upon event, things become unworkable. And there comes, there comes a need to know how to forgive, how to lay it aside so that the joy of being family again is restored. So that mirror of Jesus, I've mucked up, I feel whatever I feel, I feel there's a distance. Please will you forgive me? And he comes and the joy of his presence, the joy of his love, the joy is all over me. And that's the same then with mirrors. So say, I'm just going to go with my husband because then you can't ask questions. So if Nick and I rub each other up the wrong way, really hurt and upset one another, which from time to time we do. When that happens, I have an opportunity to take responsibility and ask for forgiveness. Sometimes Nick has to forgive me for things I haven't even asked for forgiveness for. But that is the key for intimacy and connection. So just really want to urge you this week, as we head towards Easter, next weekend, you know, well, we've been celebrating every day, but next weekend is Easter. But wouldn't it be amazing if we all had a story of how God had taken us deeper, if we'd all been able to find forgiveness or grant forgiveness that's caused us to be distant, hurt, protective, or apart. I just want to end there, but I just want to give an invitation out to those of you who maybe don't know Jesus yet, or those of you who really want to get right with God. We're going to have people up here to just pray and minister with you if you would like that. But can I just ask you all to stand to your feet just for a minute? And this way no one misses out. I'm just going to pray. And you just hold whatever it is in your heart that you are really seeking to go bigger and deeper with. And I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that everyone in this room and everyone listening is your child and that your love extends for every child of yours. Father, I just ask that even this week as we seek your face, that you would just come and you would speak to us, that you would pour in your love, that you would pour in your courage. Father, that you would build faith, that you would build strength, that we can step forward to make the decisions that will lead us to a greater connectivity and intimacy with you, that we can hear you and that we can hear one another. Father, we want to be a family.
that really functions as a family, who knows what it is to be able to forgive one another and encourage one another. Father, I want to be someone that can be vulnerable and transparent with my brothers and sisters. Father, I want that freedom for myself and I want that freedom for everyone. Father, would you do an incredible work this week? Lord God, as we seek your face, would you come and would you just minister hope, faith, wholeness and freedom, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Have a great week.